Good morning. It's great to be here with you all this morning. My name is Brian. If you have not had a chance to, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, um, it is a uh, great privilege to be here. Um, if you're visiting this morning, I am uh, had the opportunity to fill in for Pastor Ben. So um, I'd like to invite you to take a copy of God's Word or open up your phone to the book of 2 Corinthians. We are going to be starting a new series in the book of Ephesians starting next week. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to set that up a little bit with our passage today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5. 14 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak through me, a crooked stick, to point your people to the way, the truth, and life. Thank you, Lord, that your um, word is living and abiding. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word lives on forever. So we pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that we would grasp the beauty of your love and it would transform us into your image, that we may be your lights in this world. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I had a question for you this morning. What, what got you up this morning? What got you up? Anyone get up by an alarm clock this morning? Okay. Maybe multiple alarm clocks on your phone. Okay. A few of y'all. Uh, maybe your body clock. You know, maybe you're just used to getting up a certain time every day. Your body gets you up. Maybe it was a spouse, a roommate, a child, or your parents waking you up, getting you up. A dog, maybe even. Caffeine. Anyone up this morning because of caffeine? Amen. And you're still kind of trying to wake up a little bit. Well, what, what, what really got you up this morning beyond all those things? That's great, but really what got you up this morning? Let me ask you in another way, why did you get up this morning? Why do you get up every morning? What motivates you to get up every morning and put one foot before the other and do what God calls you to do? What gets you up every morning? This is a question I asked a friend of mine who um, is a Hindu. And I, anytime I'm interacting with someone from a different faith than myself, I always love to learn a lot about their religion. And so I'm asking him about Hinduism. And he's telling me about it. And he gets to the point where he starts talking about reincarnation. And I think that a lot of us have a general understanding of reincarnation is that essentially... Um, all other religions other than Christianity is based on works. And so in reincarnation, if your good deeds don't outweigh your bad deeds, then you return and start it over again. 
until eventually your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And he's telling me that, and it wasn't the first time that I'd heard reincarnation before, and, but, but it was something that the Lord just moved within me, and this is a friend of mine, this is someone I, I really loved and cared about, and he was telling me about this, and it just hit me, I didn't plan it, I just said, Ramesh, if that's true, what gets you up in the morning? What, what, what gets you up? Not, not knowing if you're going to make the cut today, if you were to die, if your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of took that question, and I think it, it rattled him because he stopped, and he didn't say anything. It was really quiet, and he started getting agitated. He started seeing his body language. He was getting frustrated. He said, I don't know what gets you up every morning. I'm like, thank you, Lord, right? It gives me an opportunity to begin to talk about what the Apostle Paul says in this passage today. Because the Apostle Paul, I think, answers that question for you and I if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us this morning what gets you up and what should get you up if you are trusting in Christ. So, what gets you up? We're going to be talking about gospel holiness this, this, this morning. And just a real simple outline if you're taking note, notes. The first is the point I keep saying. The first point is what gets you up? The second point is, how does it get you up? And then finally, why does it get you up? So what gets you up? How does it get you up? And why? Why does it get you up? Now, this is a text that I, that I love. And this is a, a passage that I've, I've preached a number of occasions. Maybe I've even preached it here before. I don't know. I don't remember. So maybe you're like, I heard that before. Because it's just one of those life verses that has just motivated me, encouraged me in, in the Christian life. So... What gets you up? Well, let's dig in the text. We've already read it, but let's break it apart, and let's take it piece by piece. What gets you up? Paul says, for the love of Christ gets you up. For the love of Christ. If you're a Christian, it's the love of Christ. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is, is it my love for Christ or Christ's love for me? And it's important to make that distinction because... If it's my love, just speaking for Brian, if it's my love for Christ that gets me up, some days I'm not going to get up because my love for Jesus is fickle. It ebbs and flows, okay? And I have a feeling that's true for you, right? There's some days I love Brian a lot more than I love Jesus, right? And so if it's my love for Jesus, then I'm not going to get up. And I'm not going to move forward because I'm selfish, I'm lazy, so pragmatically, I hope it's not, and I would argue it's not, your love for Jesus or my love for Jesus that gets you up. But also looking at the text, and when you start to dig into the original language, you start to see that the, the, the language that Paul is using there is a language of possession. It's the genitive case. I know that we don't always think about cases and, and uh, grammar, but it's a genitive case. And so it's a, it's a case of possession. So what Paul is trying to say here. It's Christ's love for me. It's the love that he possesses on my behalf that should motivate us. And that's very, very different. Because Christ's love for me is constant. Christ's love for me never ebbs or flows. How do we know that? Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. That Jesus has given up his life for us. We know that his love is not going to ebb and flow for us. It's consistent. It's constant. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. 
So it's Christ's love for me that has to be what gets me up in the morning. The more that I comprehend Christ's love for me, the more that it motivates me and pushes me, as we will see. This love of Christ, how does Paul define this love of Christ? Well, he'll, he'll say it there in verse 15, if you'll look with me. He says, this is the love of Christ, that he died for all. Excuse me, to back up in verse 14, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So Paul here, he's, he's defining this love of Christ that never ebbs or flows, it's not fickle, as Christ, what the theologians call substitutionary atonement. That's a big word. But we all know what it means. You have a substitute preacher today, right? You have someone who's stepping in to your normal preacher. Kids, I mean, you've had a lot of substitute teachers the past couple of years with COVID. You've had someone step in and be a, a, a replacement for your teacher, right? If you play sports, you need a sub, you're tired, you need someone to come in and take your place. So we all understand this idea of substitute. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He defines the love of Christ as Jesus as your substitute. Now, why do you need a substitute? Well, the story of, of the gospel and God's word is that uh, God created us for his glory and his image. But mankind decided that they wanted to be God and rebelled against God and sin. And sin came in the world and it distorted everything. And it brought death. For the wages of sin is death. And so we all deserve to die. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to take upon our punishment. We need a substitute. That's why the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament exists. All pointing to the fact that we need a substitute. We need one who will take our punishment. And Jesus came, as Paul says here, to take our punishment. To take upon the wrath of God that we deserve. Later on in this passage, which wasn't part of our reading, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you want to know how to explain the gospel in a simple, concise way, use 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let me just read it for you. You can look in your scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Twenty-one is declared guilty so that we can be declared righteous. Now let me see if I can illustrate it in this way. Let's let's just say let's just say Oscar's a serial killer. Sorry, Oscar. But let's just say he's a serial killer. All right? And let's just say he's before the judge, and the judge is about to sentence him. I mean, he's, right, death penalty. I mean, he's, he's about to get it. And right as the, the, the judge is about to, to de declare that sentence on him, that it's, he's going to lose his life, the whole full wrath of the judge, here comes Enrique. He pops open in the, in the, into, the, into the courtroom, and he says, stop, stop, right? Now, let's just say Enrique, he's not even jaywalked before right? Let's just say, I mean, he, he doesn't have a speeding ticket, he has anything. He's got a perfect record. And he busts
I'm, I'm going to take his punishment. I'm going to take Oscar's punishment. The judge looks at me, what? Are you crazy? He says, no, I, I'm, I'm, I love him enough that I'm going to take his record. Now, I know we don't have anything like that in our legal system, but let's just say, hypothetically, the judge is to stand before the bench, and he looks at Oscar, and he says, man, this guy, death penalty. His, his rap sheet is long. He looks at Enrique, he says, squeaky clean. Are you sure? Enrique says, yes. And so the judge does this. Not only is Oscar set free from the penalty of his crime, but now the judge looks at him as perfect. Perfect record. Because he got a substitute in Enrique. Now, how, how do you imagine that would affect Oscar if Enrique was to take his record and, and, and lose his life on his behalf? I think it would change him, would it not? The more that he comprehends and understands the, the, the sacrifice that one made the substitute, it would drastically transform his life. The more that we can begin to grasp the love of Christ in giving up his life and taking upon our death penalty and giving us his righteousness. So now the Father looks at me and sees perfection because of what Christ has done, and not me, the more that it motivates us to get up and serve him. Amen? This is the love of Christ that's got to get us up. But how does it get us up? What does Paul say there? It says it controls us. Now, your version may say it, it uh, constrains us. It compels us. It has power. Again, the more we understand the sacrifice, the love of Christ, it, it pushes us. As a matter of fact, it's the same word in the Greek. In the, uh, in the New Testament, in, in the early ministry of Jesus, he's very popular, and there were large crowds that followed him. And when, when he would preach, the crowds would be so large that it would, it would push him out to get on a boat and get on the sea and preach from the sea because the power of the crowds constrained and it pushed makes me kind of think about old school Black Friday sales, right? You know, they're different now, right? But back in the day, you know, I don't know if any of y'all would line up and do those things, but if you didn't, you know, you could always watch the news, and the news would always have a cameraman inside, you know, Walmart or Kmart or whatever, and he's got the camera, and he's inside the store, and he's focused in on the door from the inside, and as it gets closer to 5 o'clock or 4.30, whenever the doors bust open, Right? You see the crowd starts to push. Right? And whoever's in the front, I mean, they're kind of pressed up against the glass. Right? And then they open those doors, and what happens? Boom! The crowds come in. And there's power in those crowds, and it pushes the people forward because they're motivated by a deal, right? They're getting a cheap TV or Xbox or whatever. They're motivated by the love of the deal, and it pushes. And that's the idea. What Paul, so Paul is trying to say is that the love of Christ should have so much, the more we, you understand the gospel, it has so much power that it pushes you. It motivates you. It pushes you forward. It constrains you. It compels you that you can't help but to move towards loving and serving Him. It has power. The more that we understand the love of Christ, the more that we are motivated to serve Him. The more that we're gripped by the gospel, the more that we are shaped and pushed forward. 
kind of makes me think about that movie or the book by Victor Hugo, Les Mis. Story of Jean Valjean, this, this criminal who um, is being chased by this, this inspector, Javert, and he comes out of jail. And when he comes out of jail, he, he, he is taken in by this bishop who brings him in his home, who shows kindness to him. But at the night, uh, Valjean, this criminal, steals the, the, the silver candlesticks. And then he, he moves on his way and he gets caught. And they bring him back to the bishop's house. And to his surprise, the bishop begins to say, well, you forgot this, you forgot this and that, and started loading his bag up. And the police were like, wait, you, you gave him this stuff? And he said, of course. Valjean is just befuddled. He's confused. He says, why are you doing this? The bishop says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you are no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I have ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. And if you know that story, it transforms his life. He becomes a new man. Even though Javert chases him and tries to bring him his past, he was a different person because he was redeemed. This is what the love of Christ, when we grasp the gospel, does to us. It, it changes us. It constrains us. It compels us to what? And that's our final point there. Why? Why does it get you up? Why does it get you up? Look what verse 15 says. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what gets you up? It's the love of Jesus. How does it get you up? It pushes you. It constrains you. It, it, it motivates you towards what? Towards holiness. It motivates you towards loving the Lord by stop living for yourself and living for Him. That's what he says here, right? That those who live might no longer live for themselves. I mean, isn't that just a summation of sin, if you think about it? Sin is just living for myself. It's serving myself. It's doing what I want. I'm not going to love my neighbor I'm going to love me. I'm not going to love God. I'm going to love me. Sin is just being consumed with ourselves. And the Apostle Paul says that the more we grasp the sacrifice and the love of Christ and the gospel, the more it compels us and constrains us to stop living for ourselves, but living for Him. We're going to see that. This is kind of teeing up for the book of Ephesians, because what you're going to see in the book of Ephesians is that the first half of the letter of Ephesians is all about the gospel, indicatives about who we are in Christ. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We are these new, new creations. We've been adopted. All these beautiful truths of the gospel. And the second half of the letter is all these gospel imperatives. You know, stop. Be holy. Live this way. And the idea is that Paul is trying to say that understand the gospel... The more you understand who you are in Christ, the more you understand how that changes your life and changes the way that you live for others and live for the Lord. I love what uh, Paul, Paul says in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And then he says, he, 
He, he gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Essentially what Paul is trying to say there, hey, this grace, this grace that God has, has given you in the gospel is not only for your salvation and your justification and being declared righteous, it's for your sanctification. That same grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you, is the same grace that transforms you. So how do I stop living for myself? It's only by the grace of God. But I have a power within me now, the Holy Spirit, who is greater than the one in the world, who can give me the grace to say no to sin and yes to obedience. You see, the gospel is not just this get out of hell free card. The gospel is all about transforming you into the image of Jesus. I'm a firm believer that the church is a hospital for the sick. Absolutely. Sinners, welcome. But there's a problem if you go to a hospital and you see the same sick people in there in the same state of sickness, right? Something's not working there. So we welcome sinners into the church is a hospital, but Jesus accepts you and loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to keep you the way you are. I'll say that again. Jesus loves you and accepts you the way you are, but he loves you too much that you stay the way you are because he wants you to look like himself. The gospel is about you being transformed into the image of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul, again, I keep quoting him in different scriptures, Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the end result. And one day, if you're in Christ, when you're in his presence, you reflect his glory perfectly. You will be like him. We are all in process. It is a process. The past several weeks, we've been looking at personal practices, communal practices, soul care. And this is part of why it's so important for us to be in the community of God's people, to be in His Word and be in prayer, because the Lord uses those things to shape us, to transform us into His image. It reminds me of a story. It's probably not a true story, but it's a helpful illustration. But the story is about this man who would... Um, take these chunks of wood, big chunks of wood, and he would, he would carve those chunks of wood and, and turn them into the most beautiful, glorious, detailed horse heads, right? Things you would see at the flea market or something like that. And this guy was known for doing this, and, and people were just amazed at his craftsmanship and his work. And, and one time, they, this kind of country bump, uh, uh, bumpkin guy who did it, they asked him, he said, sir, what is your secret? How do you transform this big chunk of wood into this incredible, beautiful illustration of this horse head, and he simply said, well, I just cut away everything that don't look like horse. You know, brothers and sisters, the, the Holy Spirit is cutting away everything in you that don't look like Jesus. Because one day you will look like Jesus, but it's a process. And so the knife of sanctification sometimes is sharp and it hurts. Right? Sometimes it's suffering. Right? James talks about being refined and that dross being taken away from precious metals that you would come out pure. So sometimes that knife of sanctification is suffering. 
But it's why we have the Word. You know, Jesus says in John 17, one of the greatest prayers, we get an eavesdrop into this prayer between the Father and the Son. He says, your Word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. I want them to be like me. Use your Word to cut away those things in them that don't look like me. Prayer, right? The fellowship of believers, being in community, having a brother or sister, you know, Galatians 6.1, if you're caught in a sin, to be able to come up to you with humility and gently and say, hey, I love you, and I'm concerned about you. See, these are the means that God gives us. These are those communal and personal practices that we've been talking about, soul care, that Jesus would use those things to, to shape you into his image. That is the goal of what Jesus is doing in your life. But as I was thinking about this passage, even though I've preached it before and I've thought about it, the Lord began to really help me understand Ultimately, what does that look like in this world? How do we take the truth of the gospel and shine it into this world? How do we take this very truth that we're talking about and made me think about the shirts that some of you are wearing right now? Find hope, change the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, right? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your Good works, right? That's holiness. That's obedience by God's grace. That's not living for yourself, but living for Him. That the world may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think sometimes we, we don't want to be legalistic, and we don't want people to think that we're saved by our works, and so we, we don't want to, at times, you know, show our holiness and our obedience because we don't want people to think we're, we're, we're being self-righteous. And we, we, we sometimes want to hide that, but Jesus is saying, no, I want you to shine those good works. I want you to shine your, your transformed life that others may see the holiness and the gift that I've given you. There was a Scottish pastor named Robert Murray McShane who was well, well known for his uh, scripture reading plan that maybe some of you have used over the years, 19th century uh, pastor, and he is famous for saying this, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Why would he say that? I think what he's trying to say is that, that, that my church's greatest need is my personal holiness, which I believe because my personal holiness is a reflection of Jesus. And Jesus is their greatest need. And so I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so I would take that just even another step further and say that Lakeland's greatest need is for strong towers, holiness. Lakeland's greatest need is for the, the church to be holy. Why? Because Jesus is holy. And you are being conformed in the image of his son. That the world may see Jesus in strong tower. Why? Because what is holiness? It's living for Jesus and not living for ourselves. Why? Because of the gospel. The love of Christ that compels us to be a light to this community. That this community may see Jesus and experience Jesus. When my kids were younger, I would often go into uh, Sam's. I mean, maybe, maybe some of you do this. We'd go into Sam's on Saturday, you know, Saturdays for Sam's. Back in the day, I don't know about now with COVID, but right, it was the day that you got all the samples. 
and all the taste tests. And you could feed your family by just kind of going around and getting some of this food. And I always wonder about those people who are, who are at the table. Maybe some of you have been there, I don't know, where they're giving these samples. And, you know, they see people come up, and they're like, I know they're just going to want to sample. They're not going to buy the thing, right? And so, but, you know, sometimes I'd feel bad. So it's, you kind of have to act like you're interested in the product or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, you know. And they're probably thinking he's never going to buy it. But occasionally, occasionally you find something that's just good. And you're like, Wow. I really, really want to buy this, right? I'm motivated because there's something incredible about the taste of this. And I was just thinking about, in terms of this, that what would it be like for the city of Lakeland and Polk County to come into our community and taste and see the goodness of the Lord and say, wow, I want that. I want that. That's the beauty of the gospel holiness that Jesus has called us to be and do by his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that it is by your grace that we are saved. And it's by your grace that we are sanctified. It's by your grace that we are transformed and made new. Lord, I pray that we would take the truth of the gospel and your love and we would be so gripped by it and so transformed by it that it would constrain and compel and push us towards holiness. That we would be a church that is, is, is shining our light and displaying your glory. That we are spreading the, the, the incredible taste of the beauty of your love and the gospel and that the world would see that you are good. And Father, when we fail, and we will, when we fail to be holy, when we fail to obey you, when we fail to love one another, Lord, even in our repentance, when we confess our sins and seek forgiveness, that would be a picture of your grace in the gospel. Father, we love you, and we ask you things in Christ's name. Amen.